Warning, this podcast contains strong language, graphic nudity, and depictions of extreme stupidity and is meant only for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Or not, you do you. Hello and welcome to the worst podcast on Mars, also known as, um, nope, not even going to give it a try. I'm why not? A, I'm, no, I'm Amanda. I'm curious as to why you're not going to give it a try. Okay, I'm Sid. Okay. And you're Nancy. No. If you're Sid, you are Sid the Sloth. <laughs> I'll be Scrap. Okay. Um, this is the podcast that talks music, and we're working our way through the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's list of 200 definitive albums, and we uh, try to give you some of the history and charting information and try to figure out why it's on this list. And this week, we're going to do the Sex Pistols. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the Sex Pistols. Before we get into that, do you have any corrections from last week? No, because last week was more than a week ago. (laughs) So it was Dave Matthews' band? I believe so. Crash? Um, Yeah, I don't have any either. Very rarely do I have a correction, and that's not me saying, like, everything's good. It's just... Nobody's coming and saying, hey, this is incorrect or whatever. So, um, should I just get into it then? Okay. Since I don't have anything to add. Do you have a grievance? Are we still doing that as a thing? I honestly, I don't know because you're like, hey, let's do this segment. And then we do it for like two episodes. And so I bring it up and then you're like, well, I don't have anything for that. And it's like this segment never even happened. Like, like it wasn't your idea to do do it in the first place. So. So is that your grievance? You, so then, yes. Just you in general are my grievance. Do you have a grievance? Yeah, that you cheat when we play Hot Wheels. You just suck. So I can't help you with that. Prove it. All right. So this week we're doing Sex Pistols. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the Sex Pistols. It was released October 28th, 1977, and is 109 on this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame list. So, Bollocks is the Sex Pistols' only album and is considered to be the greatest and most influential punk album ever. The story behind this is perhaps one of the most insane ones I've read about so far. Does it involve any Nazi mansions? No, it does not. Then your statement is false. Wait until you get into it. Your story is false. But it isn't a surprise if you know anything about the Sex Pistols. Apparently, they had originally signed with EMI, but were dropped from their contract after a terrible tour and Johnny Rotten swearing on live TV. The group would then sign on with A&M in a public display outside Buckingham Palace as a publicity stunt to promote their single God Save the Queen. Right after the ceremony... Shit went sideways. The band went back to a- to the A&M offices drunk. Sid Vicious smashed a toilet, cutting his foot and leaving blood all over the office. Johnny Rotten verbally abused staff. And Steve Jones spent a lot of time with women in the bathroom. Needless to say, they were then dropped by A&M. They were also banned from playing concerts in most of England. I mean, that's not a surprise. So, yeah, right. So while it's not a whole recording in a Nazi mansion, that's still a lot to happen before you've even really released your first album. <laughs> you go through a few record companies and you're just... But like you said, it's not a surprise. And if you know the Sex Pistols at all, 
No, that isn't a surprise. But just the the story, reading about it, I don't know what I was expecting. I was still like, that is a lot. That is a lot to have happened in such a short period of time. It's a lot to digest. Yes. So Richard Branson, with his Virgin Records label, then swooped in, becoming the Sex Pistols' third label within a year. Then came this release, with the band breaking up just a mere two and a half months after the release. Then came the whole thing between Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen, which, if you know anything about the Sex Pistols, you at least know about that. So I'm not going to get into that here. But after all of that, Virgin Records was bought by EMI. Does that name sound familiar? It should, because they said it two minutes ago. That was their original record company. Now, EMI, a, a record label, had released a song where the band openly badmouthed them on record. So the line is, quote, I can't stand those useless fools, EMI. Okay. Are you lost in this? No. <laughs> so I have enough breadcrumbs. To, to recap, they were signed by EMI, dropped, signed by A and M, dropped, signed by Virgin Records, released this album. Band broke up. EMI bought Virgin, and so they had a song released that badmouthed them. It's like, all right, right. It just keeps, like, the whole story is insane. It's a shit onion. <laughs> yes, You yes. just pee- keep peeling layers of shit. Yeah, so, and that was the other thing. It's three record labels within a year, and then after this was released, two and a half months later, band's done. And so, I, I heard, obviously, I heard of this album. album. I, I know Sex Pistols. We've talked about this cover back when we talked Elvis Presley's. No. That's the Clash, I believe. Fuck. I think that's London Calling. You're right. And uh, same time frame, though. I think. I think they did. They did um, a UK and a US release, and I want to say one of them had the same colors. For for this. This? Yeah. Yeah, I think the US one might have been green. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Of. I don't know. Anyway, my point is... Because you're talking the, the pink letters and the green letters down the side and bottom? Yeah, that's yeah. flash. Um, it, the, my point is, you know you know the whole thing with Nancy and Sid. You know the Sex Pistols. You know how like, like they were anarchy. In the UK. It, yeah. I had no clue that they only had one album. I had no clue... That they, as a band, were short-lived. And so that... Well, you hear the names so often and you hear so many people talk about them in such high regard that... Yeah, it just blew my mind. It makes sense that... It would make sense for them to have had a longer career. Right. So uh, during recording sessions, Vicious, who came in to replace former bassist Glenn Matlock, couldn't keep up with the rest of the group musically. Matlock was asked to return to help finish recording, to which he agreed only if he was paid in advance. Which, surprise, didn't happen. So Matlock didn't even show, and Steve Jones had to pull double duty on guitar and bass. So you have this recording with Glenn Matlock was supposed to fill in because Sid Vicious... Sucks. 
I'm not saying that. Essentially. I don't want his ghost to haunt me. Yeah. Um, but he can't keep up. Which, so he's really not even on the album. Well, from what I, I looked briefly, I guess his stuff is buried, kind of like Jason's was on Injustice for All. Like, it's there. there you just, can't, you just can't find it. Yeah. But he... Which, in this, I, I thought it was kind of interesting because the very little that I know, you know the name Sid Vicious. And yeah. for him to kind of be buried like that took me by surprise. So it's mostly he was there for the personality, I think. So remember when I said Bollocks is the greatest and most influential punk rock album ever? Yes. They certainly weren't the first punk band. The Ramones and the Stooges came before them. And their spiked hair and safety pins on their clothes look, that was inspired by Richard Hell, who was a rocker from New York. What made this album so big was the, quote, concentrated shot of pent-up rage that erupts when the needle drops on anarchy in the UK. It perfectly expressed the frustration and disgust of many at the government, as well as attacking the music industry, and talking about abortion. The Pistols had, quote, endorsed chaos, attacked the monarchy, used the word fuck on an album, and written a graphic song about abortion. So, kind of in essence, the Sex Pistols, they're, this album is held in such high regard because they were just, it, every song was just a giant middle finger to something else. And like I said, the Ramones and the Stooges, they came first. But I think the Sex Pistols did it harder. And I get that. People were just so fed up with everything. And it was anarchy in the UK describes what so many people were feeling. It was kind of like Black Sabbath is, is known for like the, the start of heavy metal. Mm-hmm. But you look at some of these... There was a there was a list or there was the video I think Loudwire did their whole fifty years of heavy metal. There were a couple bands I think Sir Lord Baltimore something like that is a few years earlier in the I believe it's U S. So there's stuff that exists before, but it's them that basically take it and run with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there there are bands that have done this before, but not necessarily did it. Sex Pistols didn't necessarily do it better, but they did it. We'll we'll go with better, but that's not the word. That's not I the think correct it was, word. For them, it was kind of like right place, right time. I mean, my my historical background with the United Kingdom ninety five percent of it comes from the crown on netflix which obviously is a drama somewhat accurate yeah but it's based off of factual things and uh one of the i think one of the biggest things you know with this it's they were fed up with the monarchy and that was a real thing that happened people were um it, it was around around the time where I think Queen Elizabeth's mother had passed. Her 
Her sister Margaret had died first. Um, well, it's probably even before that. I think it was before that. You had people questioning how long she was going to be around because Charles is getting older and has not taken the throne. And you just, people were upset with the government because they just saw it as, well, not the government with the monarchy because they just saw it as a symbol of wealth and not really doing much where there's people struggling, you know, and it's, so people were very, very upset. Sex Pistols put that into music, made it very relatable to the people. Yeah, like with God Save the Queen. Right. And for them to do this big publicity stunt right in front of Buckingham Palace was a giant middle finger to the royal family. And people could latch on to that. So I don't I don't want to say they did it better. I think it came at a good time where it made a huge impact. And people were like, yeah, fuck you. That's what I think. But I'm going to continue. Fun fact. I found this really interesting quote by member Steve Jones about the album. Quote, my upbringing was on guitar rock and all that music was in my head growing up. The faces, Bowie with Mick Ronson, Martha Hopple. Hoople. Hoople. Damn it, I did that the before. Damn it. I did that the before. I did, yep. <laughs> I did that the before. My influences were those. So anything that comes out of bollocks is owned to those bands. But I couldn't play that good, so it came out the way it came out. <laughs> Fun fact. This is my last little bit before we move on. Nothing but controversy follows the band. This controversy is about the band name and album title. While the album artwork was inspired by Elvis Presley's self-titled album, and now, yes, I know, we are saying that is The Clash, and I believe I have that wrong. I don't, I did these notes a while ago, so I don't remember what source I got that from. Most record stores refuse to stock it because the band name is a euphemism for a penis, and the title contained the word bollocks. At the time, charts wouldn't list the title either. The police even took offense to the title being displayed in some store windows that they changed the band. They charged. The the police as in the band or the police as in the popo? The popo. Even took offense to the title being displayed in some store windows that they charged the band with the Indecent Advertising Act of 1889. I thought that was really interesting. Just talk about living in the past. Well, yeah, but so you have not only have a band who embodies chaos, but just the name of their band and the name of the album made people clutch their pearls. So I just thought that whole thing, it's like every sentence I read was just insanity to me. I know it's no Nazi mansion, but like I said, this is... This is, it, yes, the, the Nazi, Nazi, I can't talk. The Nazi mansion thing, that was interesting. They just rented this mansion to record in, had no idea, and then saw all the Nazi symbols and just stayed there and recorded. You're like, eh, we're already here. We're already unpacked. It's too much to pack up. This just, from the get-go, it was just insane. So moving on to cultural impact and reviews and all that good stuff and you're charting yeah you're just looking at me it's 
weird. Don't look at me. So All The Bollocks was their only studio album. People already knew who they were. Pre-orders for the album were so high that it went to number one on the album charts immediately in the UK. In the US, Bollocks only went to number 106. Bollocks eventually went platinum in both the UK and US. However, it hit platinum status in the UK in 1988 and 1992 in the US. So it took a bit. Well, even if it did have a leg up, though. Yes. In the UK, but it didn't seem to matter much. Right. But I, I found that interesting that their word of mouth helped them and their pre-orders were so high that it just it went to number one right away. Singles released were the Anarchy in the UK, God Save the Queen, and Pretty Vacant. Artists like Kurt Cobain and Noel Gallagher are just a few who have been influenced by Bullocks. Groups like Motorhead, Megadeth, Metallica, and Guns N' Roses have also been influenced by the Pistols' combination of, quote, combustive guitar and snotty vocals. My last note is a fun fact. I did read that the best way to experience this raw attitude and emotion is to listen to the original vinyl as the remasters make the album sound flat and doesn't have the same power. So it would be interesting to get my hands on a copy of the the original vinyl. vinyl. Yeah, because I know... I could probably find you one. It's... Through your contact? Mm Mm-hmm. It's very interesting to listen to a vinyl versus a digital like the remastered because it sounds crisp and clean and that's all well and good but there's something to that dirty sound you know and we did going back to exile on main street we did talk a little bit about that how you could hear the dust because the basement was just had a dirt floor and that's where they recorded and you can just hear like the microphones covered in dust as as they recorded and so i think something is lost a little bit when you do the remasters so i would be interested to listen to that i'll see if i can find one for you all right so i'm gonna thank my resources and then you can get into your review thank you to the sex pistols never mind the bollocks here's the sex pistols no author no date on vinylreviews.com thank you to sex pistols never mind the bollocks here's the sex pistols no author no date on sexpistolsofficial.com now, they do have a bunch of different versions, essentially different versions of this album. So there's a lot of, like, unreleased things. and. There's a... I was trying to find... Uh, I saw something about bonus tracks. There's a... Uh, the original recordings compilation, which looks yeah. like it has all the stuff plus some more. So I want to look into that. Yeah. Um, thank you to 46 years ago, the Sex Pistols release Nevermind the Bollocks, Here's the Sex Pistols by Joe Wiederhorn, John, sorry, Wiederhorn, published October 28th, 2023 on loudwider.com. Thank you to the Sex Pistols, Nevermind the Bollocks, Here are the Sex Pistols by Billboard staff, published October 26, 2012 on billboard.com. And thank you to, look at me. Number I am eight, the captain now. Number 80, the Sex Pistols, Nevermind the Bollocks, Here's the Sex Pistols by Brett Schweetz. On May 21st, 2021 on, you're not even going to do it. No, I had one, but I'm not going to say it. RS500albums.com. Because I'm going to ruin all your fun. All right, so why don't you get into your review? 
So you were talking about how familiar you are with them, even knowing knowing who they are, but not necessarily knowing the material other than Anarchy, mm-hmm. right? So I'm listening to it, and I'm thinking, this is what based on what I knew about Anarchy in the UK. This is what I expected it to sound like. Uh, have you heard the Megadeth cover cover of Anarchy in the UK? No. Have you heard the Green Jello version of? I think it's Anarchy and talking about uh, Bedrock and all that. It's an interesting uh-uh. one as well. So you have, like you said, you had the Megadeth influence, or the influence on Megadeth, and then they do that on their, I think it was on a studio album, so it's not like one of those tribute albums kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The short version... Is I was disappointed. I thought, based on the knowledge and the history that I have of music around the same time frame, same style, I thought it's it's fine, you know, right place, right time. I get that, but I think the monks, the black black monk time, we talked about yeah. that before. I would put that ahead of this only because it was such a radical change in the sound of music and what it did. Yes, this was, they're both a a one-off, one album, kind of just, here you go. This is, this is the music that exists. Never really did anything else. Yeah, I, but I think, the, know, I think I, the Monks would have a more of an influence than this album did. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I think without the monks you don't have this album. I completely forgot about them. Exactly. It's one of the, they never got the attention cuz like you said it it's not necessarily a great album, but it's cuz what was the year was that? That was 65, 67, somewhere in that range. So it's the same, it's about 10 years earlier, mm-hmm. and it, it's, musically, it's not a good album. You know, it, it's, it's, it's like some of the, it's like another album that I want to talk to you about sometime. It's, it doesn't sound as polished as other albums, mm-hmm. but it's the raw intensity of it that I think puts that above this. This has better, uh, more applicable social constructs and, and commentary and all that. So I can see why this would be on there. Yeah. But I think, like I said, when we talked about Monks, I was like, I wish that had been included in something like this. Yeah, I think it's, I, I get what you're saying, but I think Sex Pistols, they're just more well known. Exactly. Mean, yeah. Sold well, I don't so have well. a, I don't have an issue with that. Yeah. So, so, what did you think of the album, though? It's it's the same thing as some of these older ones. It's it's fine. I it's not the right time frame for me to listen to it. So like I don't have the the connection. Like I don't understand like all the the emotions behind it. You know what I mean? I'm not going to be in that situation of '70s UK. So it's it's hard to understand that. 
mm-hmm. from my perspective. It sounds fine. I mean, I kept Anarchy in the UK. Yeah. Just because I like, I remember that was on one of the Tony Hawks at one point. So I remember skating around listening to it. And I'm like, okay, this is a good song. But, you know, the, the social commentary behind it doesn't bother, doesn't, doesn't land, doesn't phase me at all. Mm-hmm. But I'm also one of those that doesn't look too deep into the lyrics like some people do. Right. Like they read, they really read into it. Like I don't care. Does does it sound good? It sounds fine. Nothing, nothing really mm-hmm. stood out. There's like we've said it with um, some of the Beatles stuff. Like it's fine. You know, Bowie, mm-hmm. Bowie. It sounds fine. It's not something that I'm gonna listen to consistently. Even the Metallica's Black album. It's got Enter Sandman and Don't Tread on Me and they're like the rest of it. it's like okay. You know, it I understand the the significance and the the selling of it and the the charting and the numbers behind it, but it's like okay. You know, it doesn't doesn't phase me to to look too deep into it. It's like this does this sounds fine to me, but there's all this over there that sounds that I like better. So I'm going to listen to that instead of this. Mm-hmm. But I don't have a problem with this. So what do you give it? Like a B minus. Okay. Yeah. If, I think if I had under... I think if I understood the social commentary a little bit more, it could go up to a B, maybe a B plus, but it, it's not... And, and listening to it now, when you've heard other music that sounds similar, that's more polished... You know, it's hard to listen to some of these. It's not the same. It's not the word, but more amateur sounding albums. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where it's it's not as it's not as cohesive. It's not as polished. It's not as not necessarily thought out. But you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I do. So okay, that's fine. I mean, I own a copy of it. I'd recommend it to people, but it's not something that it's not my it's not in my top fifty for a deserted island. Mm-hmm. I don't even think it's in my top hundred. Yeah. So. Can you go to a deserted island? At some point. That's what I would like for Christmas this next year. So in twenty five. We'll see. We'll see if I can wait that long. We so said next year. My review. Yes. I said this next year. Yeah. So this next year would be twenty twenty five. Okay. So I was really excited to get into this one. Uh, the Sex Pistols have always been one of those groups that when I hear one of their songs or hear the story of Sin Nancy, I think I, I really need to check them out. Then immediately forget to do so. But this is an easy catalog to get through. Yeah. I had no clue that this was their only studio album and definitely had no idea the story behind it. Um, reading it made, made me even more excited, especially since so many of the reviews called the album fun. There's so many of them. It was a fun album. It was a fun listen. I had fun listening. You, you know, so I was excited for that. Right away, I was hooked. Some of the articles I read talked about how there are different punk styles. And this one was the only true punk. And while I'm not quite sure I understand that, I do think that this is the punk I do like. It's, it's probably like there's different kinds of... There's the thrash metal. There's speed metal. Yeah. It's like, what's the difference between thrash and speed? It's just metal. Right. So we've come across some albums where I said a track or two had a punk feel to it, but I didn't care for them. I was thinking about that while I was listening to this, trying to figure out why. 
I just liked how angry and chaotic this sounded. And you can really get the frustration, which is really important. People loved it because of that. They didn't care who they pissed off. They wanted to say it like it was. And I love that. I did know Anarchy in the UK and God Save the Queen, but the rest of it was new to me. And I loved it. I added the entire album to my library. I'm so happy that we did this one, but I'm really sad that there's not much more from them. They have a few live tracks and I think some demos or bootlegs are available now, but not much more beyond this. I would have loved to see what they could have created together. I kept everything and I gave it an A+. I'm surprised because you don't normally keep full albums. I know. You're like me. It's like there's there's something about an album like Dark Side of the Moon. Like there's something about Great Gig in the Sky. I just can't stand the rest of the albums. The album as a whole is great, mm-hmm. but it's just that one that one sticking piece. Yeah. So uh, overall, this album was amazing, and I'm really upset that I waited so long to discover it. However, I also kind of think this is this might have been the right time for me to to discover it. I wasn't really an angsty teen, or at least I don't think so. My parents might say otherwise. And I'm really just now getting into my angsty period in that I'm more openly talking about things that frustrate me in the world, like the government. It's still so good today, not just in sound, but in its message. It's it's great. I absolutely loved it. So, very, very happy. Evan, are you ready to do birthdays? If you are, unless you have final You're thoughts. You're stalling or... because you... I just did my final thoughts. Do you have recommendations? I started a new podcast called Camp Counselors. It's good. Listen to it. There's my recommendation. Is it about Jason Voorhees? No. Is it about Pamela Voorhees? No. Is it about Gary Voorhees? No. Would you like to know what it's about? Or, you, like, are you just stalling because you didn't look up your story? No, I have it loaded. It's just, I was just trying to engage and find out what interests you. No, it's because you totally didn't have your stuff ready to go. And you were killing for time. So, go ahead and go with your birthdays. So, January 26th. Okay? Yes. Huey Piano Smith. Okay. U.S. Army Pianist who had the 1958 U.S. number nine single "Don't You Just Know It," also played on Frankie Ford's hit "Sea Cruise." S E A. Oh yeah, I hear that. I'm hearing that in my head right now. Um, thirty-nine. Thirty-four. Okay. There. Are... Okay, this is an interesting one. So I'm going to give you two. Okay, and they're the same year. Okay. okay. American singer, songwriter, record producer, and composer Tom Bell. Okay. He was known as one of the creators of Philadelphia Soul in the 70s. He found success as a producer and songwriter for the Delphonics, Stylistics, and Spinners. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then here's another one. Thomas Bell, Jamaican-born American singer, songwriter, arranger, and record producer, known as one of the creators of Philadelphia Soul in the 70s. <laughs> So they they did it once, and then they they did somebody else, and then they went back to him. Forty two. Forty three. Oh, okay, I know that band. Corky Lang, L A I N G, 
drummer with heavy rock group Mountain, who had the 1971 album Nantucket Sleigh Ride. You know Mountain. Do I? Mississippi Queen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 45. 48? American musician, singer, and songwriter Billy Greer, bassist for Kansas. 50. 52. Dutch guitarist, who had the 1984 U.S. number one and U.K. number seven single. His guitar solo in the tra- in this track, separate track, was voted number two on Guitar World Magazine's Reader's Poll of the 100 Greatest Guitar Solos. Uh... Died in 2020, had been receiving treatment for throat cancer. The band that he was in, named after him, have sold more than 80 million records worldwide, making them one of the best-selling groups of all time. Hmm. One of his guitars, I think it's the Bumblebee guitar, is buried with Dimebag Daryl. There's a Guitar Hero name, or there's a Guitar Hero game for this so band. was it Les Paul? No. Van Halen. Van Halen. Oh. Um, 54. 55. I've been pretty close so far on all of them. The first three digits have been correct on every one of them. This is a name you will know because we've discussed her before. You're not f- super familiar with her work. Anita Baker. Mm-hmm. U.S. soul singer who had the 1986 U.K. number 13 single, Sweet Love, and the 1998 U.S. number one album, Giving You the Best That I Got. Mm-hmm-hmm. We did Rapture for her. 57. 58. Andrew Ridgely. Do you know that name? No. The other guy from Wham. Oh, yeah. Okay. Non-George Michael. Yes. 60. 63. Uh, originally became a prominent environmentalist in the cause of British surfing beaches and riverways, working with the UK charity Surfers Against Sewage. Hmm. So that's the Sass. last one. Huh? Sass. That'll be the last one that we do for birthdays. Okay. So, January 6, 26, 1956. This day in history. Too many sixes. Buddy Holly recorded what would become his first release. There were two tracks. Both tracks were later featured on That'll Be the Day, the third album from Holly. After Decca, Holly's first major record label packaged these 1956 tunes after he had some success with recordings from the Brunswick and Coral labels. If any idea what the songs are? I'm guessing one is That'll Be the Day? No. What? Love Me. And Peggy Sue. Blue Days, Black Nights. Okay. I don't know either of those songs. In 1961, Elvis was at number one on the UK singles chart with? Um, Jailhouse Rock. No. Blue Suede, Blue Suede Shoes. No. Uh, Love Me Tender. Are You Lonesome Tonight? I like how you're like, I'm not entertaining this no. anymore. The singer's sixth... UK number one. Song was written by Roy Turk and Lou Hanman in 1926. First became a hit in 1950 when the Blue Baron Orchestra version reached the top 20. During a Rolling Stones tour of Australia and New Zealand in 1965, 
Which member had his shirt torn off after 50 fans invaded the stage? Richards. Yes. That was a trick question. In 1968, Pink Floyd played their first gig without this person. Uh, Roger Waters? No. No. Um. Shoot. I don't know. Sid Barrett. Oh, was that early? Yeah. He, he, I think he was around for two albums. No, I meant that late. I had my, I don't know what I was trying to say. I thought it was long after Sid had passed. They were supported by Tyrannosaurus Rex. You know that band. Yeah. In 1974, Ringo went to number one on the U.S. singles chart with his version of the Johnny Burnett's 1960 hit uh 16 and you're 16 so you're 16 it's gross that sounds gross in 1977 former fleetwood mac guitarist peter green was committed to a mental hospital following an incident when he threatened his accountant with an air rifle when he was trying to deliver a thirty thousand pound royalty check to him that sentence had way too many twists and turns in it <laughs> This artist made his TV debut on the U.S. show American Bandstand in 1980. When interviewed after his performance, the singer froze and struggled to reply to the questions he was being asked. I don't know. He was in a movie that we have seen in the last year. He is now dead. Prince. Prince. Here's, I need you to look at me. He's not dead from this, but it's still sad. Okay? Mm-hmm. 1986. Alan Collins. Do you recognize that name? No. He's a guitarist from Skinnerd. Okay. Crashed his car, paralyzing him from the waist down and killing his girlfriend. Okay. He was on the plane crash. Okay. Or he was on the plane that crashed. It's like, I don't... I think you should just stay home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In 1991, Queen had their second UK number one with... In 91? Mm-hmm. It's six and a half minutes. Bohemian Rhapsody? No, that's... It exceeded than... their epic Bohemian Rhapsody by 35 seconds and became the third longest UK number one song of all time. Is it uh, We Will Rock You? No. What? Innuendo. I don't even know what that song is. The third longest UK number one song of all time behind Hey Jude and Simple Minds' Belfast Child. Subsequently, the nine and a half minute song All Around the World by... Nope. No, I don't know. Oasis took over the top slot and demoted Innuendo to fourth place. Hmm. Do you know what, what band the guy who played the guitar solo was from? For what? For Innuendo. I've never even heard of the song. I'm going to ask you again. Do you know what band the guitarist was from? Queen. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so lost. I get it now. You don't have to explain it okay. to me. I'm going to save one for last. So we're going to skip ahead quite a bit. Okay. In 2008... Alicia Keys was at number one on the U.S. album chart with her third album, which is? Uh, I don't know what comes after that. It's 
uh, songs in A minor, Diary of Alicia Keys, and then I don't know what. As I Am. As, okay. The album sold over 742,000 copies in its first week. The largest ever first week sales for any female R&B artist. Jumping forward even farther, and then we're going to take the time machine. In 2020, this artist swept the board at the 2020 Grammys, winning five awards. Best New Artist and Song of the Year, becoming the first person to achieve the feat since Christopher Cross in 1981. Also won Album of the Year for her debut, replacing Taylor Swift as the youngest person to ever win the award. I don't know. Billie Eilish. Oh, okay. So we're going to go back in time a bit, okay? Okay. In 2004, this person was one of 10 contestants to take part in the latest I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here UK TV show set in the Australian Outback. Okay? Okay. Following so far? Mm-hmm. Was seen by 11 million viewers on the first night, covered in bird seed, being pecked by giant ostriches. What? It's paid 25,000 pounds, or 42,500 American, to appear in the show, but walked off the jungle set after four days. It is a former singer. you have any idea who it is? Not a clue. Johnny Rotten. Oh, really? <laughs> That's fitting. I saw that. I was like, oh, God, I have to save that for last. So, y'all done? For now. All right. Well, thank you for listening. You can find us on Instagram and threads at Worst Pod on Mars and Facebook at Worst Podcast on Mars. Send us an email, worstpodonmars at gmail.com. You can support us by giving us a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Um, And on Tuesdays, we do smaller episodes where we stay away from this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame list. And this year, we're doing something different with it. We're focusing on an artist or a group. We're doing one state. We're going to try to hit all 50 states. Um, Yeah, hit all 50. Um, But come back next week when we're doing Outcast. Is it Aquamini? You're the one who has a podcast telling me things. Aquamini. I think it's Aquamini. But I'll explain why I'm questioning it next week. You'll have to come back and find out why. Bye.